right, all right, all right. Day 270. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right. Super hyped today because today we begin the book of James. And remember, we are moving through our uh a modified chronological plan and so james is one of the earliest uh, kind of books because he is jesus's brother uh he rose to prominence and was numbered among the apostles and leaders at the mother church in jerusalem right remember the church first started in jerusalem right acts chapter 2 and he was one of those leaders now unlike paul's letters uh this letter of james is referred to as a catholic or general epistle meaning it is not written to a specific jesus community or a specific church like paul's letters were right to ephesus corinth galatia whatever but um more to the jews in the diaspora we'll talk about that in a second um and uh it's interesting because his structure and format isn't super neat, right? Um, but the main thing James is trying to, to present is an ethic of the kingdom. As I like to say, he's trying to present a masterclass uh, in the virtues in the kingdom of God. And so he's trying to say, hey, this should be our collective collective ethic as a people. This is how we live out our faith, right? And he is heavily influenced by the Old Testament, like many, like every New Testament author is, um, but specifically the wisdom literature, uh, what we would call the wisdom literature, and especially Proverbs, right? And then finally, he is uh, most influenced uh, by his brother Jesus and uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's so funny, if you take the Sermon on the Mount in one hand and read James in the other, you'd be surprised at how similar they were. Now, that's so cool because, again, James was around Jesus so much and his words had internalized, right? He had he had internalized Jesus' words so much that now they uh, were formed into his very own. And so we see this here in the text. I love how the text starts off. It says, James. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes <laughs> dispersed abroad. Greetings. You know, it's funny um, because James, his name in Greek is Iakobos, right? So it really can be translated as Jacob. And it says to the 12 tribes. It's now it's funny that he's talking to Christians, right? But he calls them the 12 tribes, right? And this reminds us, what does this remind us of? This reminds us reminds us of the fact that uh in the old testament remember uh, uh israel was scattered right because of their rebellion and disobedience they were scattered scattered because of the sin uh the 12 tribes and here james uses the same language to refer to his people one because he is identifying the christians with the old testament uh saints but also i think it's a contrast right um in that here uh, we know from history that these uh christians were scattered because of persecution right because of faithfulness not because of disobedience so you see james is just uh, tying all these threads together already he is uh brilliant now it starts off and says this in verse two <clears throat> consider it a great joy my brothers and sisters whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect i love this so that you may be mature and complete lacking nothing one of the paradoxes of christianity is that um and james gets at it here is that we can have joy even in the midst of of suffering right paul says this jesus says this peter says this everyone in scripture says this god says we can have joy in trials you know why because trials test our faith and the testing of our faith produces endurance but endurance is not the end he says the end he says is maturity right and i love it because this word is very important in the book of james the word is teleos or teleos right where we get the the word uh, uh, uh telos or goal from right and it basically means this 
It means this wholehearted devotion to God alone, right? It means integrity. It means wholeness of life, right? Where where, where, where uh, uh, your profession uh, of faith lines up with your actions, right? When your values lines up with your actions. And in fact, this word uh, he's going to use here will be used seven times throughout the book. Surprise, seven times throughout the book. And many have argued that this is the key thing, right? That, that, that the teachings taught here are prescriptive for living an integrated, mature, devoted Christian life before God, right? And I think James is saying um, when it comes to uh, suffering, interestingly enough, he says, um, you know, I think he's saying that the only way we can have joy in these trials is not to disregard how we're feeling. He didn't say that. But to remember, regardless of how we feel, what God is doing, right? To remember what God is doing. And I love what he comes down uh, later and says, he says, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I love it. This uh, verse has been so dope for me uh, because one, we have a poor understanding of reward, right? For us, we have to remember as Christians that we will be rewarded at the end of this life based on uh, making it through the finish line, right? Um, and so our suffering, we have to remember that our suffering has both a proximate end, right? And making us mature, complete, whole, teleos, but also an ultimate end, right? It, it receives a crown, a reward, right? We will receive the eternal life that God has promised to those who love him, not apart from trials and suffering, but on the other side of it, right? And he goes down and James keeps going and he argues very, very tightly. And he says, yo, um, at the end of the day, like, no, 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 God tests his people, right? God does test his people. We know that from scripture. We know that from our own lives. But he says, no, no, God never tempts his people. Right. So don't get the two confused. Right. He only gives he's like, no, no, don't be deceived. He only gives good gifts. Right. And the primary form of that is the primary gift that he's given us is the word of truth, the gospel itself. Right. By which we are saved in this gospel. He goes on to the end. He says, and this gospel doesn't just change who we are internally, but leads to us living an alternate way of life externally i think that's one of our problems we tend to forget that no we we think hey the gospel is just something i believe i subscribe to this set of doctrines and therefore god changes my heart and i feel good on the inside but what james is saying no no no, like this thing is meant to make you live different right and it's crazy because and, and, and I'm, I'm gonna circle back to james it's crazy because um if you read jesus's uh teachings carefully Right. He is saying the same thing. He's like, fam, this is an alternate way of living and being in the world. Look what James says. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Check this. Deceiving yourselves. One of the things that James is going to say over and over and over is that we can deceive ourselves. Don't underestimate your propensity to deceive yourself. Now, if you're hearing the word and not doing it, guess what? You're deceiving yourself. <laughs> right? Then he says this, uh, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like one, uh, like someone looking at his own face in a mirror for he looks at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently, look intently into the perfect law of freedom. Check this. You got to look intently into scripture. Like there is, I think um, we can, we can say like a precedent in scripture for us to study and be in the word deeply and carefully check this, but not just that looks intently into the perfect law of freedom notice he calls the law free it's so good um freedom does, does not uh freedom is not about finding a place of no constraints but about finding the right constraints and the, and, and the scripture provides those constraints of uh, for, 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 for us to live and for us to flourish as God has intended us to do so and he says uh into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres 
I love it. He says, persevere in it, right? He says, no, no, no. Like, it's not going to always be easy to get in the text and actually obey it. It's not going to be easy for you to get up and listen to, to things that fill your mind and heart with the word. It's not going to be easy for you to go to church and hear and submit and sit under the preached word and then go live it out Monday to Saturday. No, no. He says it's not. You got to persevere in this bad boy. And some of us, our problem is we think it's going to be easy. We think this thing's supposed to be a cakewalk. And, and James is like, persevere. I love it. I'm going long already. And it is not a forgetful hearer. But a doer who works. Listen, this person will be blessed in what he does. Now, I said James was so influenced by Proverbs. Remember, Proverbs talks about what the blessed life is like. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about what the blessed life is like. And James is saying, no, no, there is a type of blessing you will have. There's a type of flourishing you will have in this life if you hear the word of God and actually obey it. James chapter 2. He goes and he talks about the sin of partiality. I love this here. This is so good. For someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. Hear, hear this. It's a, it's, it's a scenario. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place. And yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? In the book of James, we have um, uh, what many scholars would say is this class uh, dynamic going on. I love it because, um, you know, here he will talk about both the poor and the rich, right, in this in these texts and instruct them in light of biblical ethics, how they ought to relate to one another. Now, Proverbs does the same thing, fam, right? And so um, now the term he's going to use in this text for partiality, right, is a word uh, that literally means receiving the face, Right. And it carries over the sense of literally making judgments and distinctions based on external considerations. Right. Making judgments and distinctions based on external considerations, such as physical appearance, social status or even race. Right. And here I love it because this is so relevant for us, fam, because because he applies the concept, this concept of receiving the face specifically to wealth right but i think we could obviously apply it in many other ways and this shows up prevalently in our cultural in our culture and on a practical level what he's trying to say is this we seem to neglect people right who don't who we don't see as immediately benefiting us but we prefer and run to those who we believe can right so so this plays out for some of y'all um, um, on social media, right? Like you, you, you post and repost the people that will lift up your social status, that will give you more followers, that will make you look good, that will make you look cool. All with all the silly stuff we think in our hearts and in our minds, right? But but the person who nobody knows, the person who 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 doesn't have that kind of social status, like we aren't uh, uh, um, uh, as quick or as prone to gravitate towards them and james is saying this is partiality and this is sin fam no no this is sin and i think we it's, it's it's prevalent in our wider culture as well right we tend to prop up right we tend to invite the most popular uh speakers to the conferences and and, and into events and all that kind of stuff right and um we each we actually even let them get away with certain things that we wouldn't let other people get away with right and this is all partiality right and what's so crazy, bro, is at the beginning of chapter two is he says that um, this is so subtle, um, you know, but so key for guarding against this. He says, uh, my brothers and sisters, <laughs> do not show favoritism, right? Partiality, receiving the face um, as you hold on. Hear this. Hold on. You got to hold on to this thing as you hold on to the faith 
in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is so good, James. James is subtle with that pen, man. He says, listen, the reason we, in a sense, ascribe greater glory, hear this, to some people more than others, the reason we receive the face of some people more than others is we because we forget, we forget the glorious nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what James is calling us to guard against, right? This is the sin of partiality. In other words, I've said it a ton of times before, we are, we, we are often impressed by so many people except Jesus, right? We are, we are, we are often impressed by people, fam, except Jesus. You know, you know how I know? Because if we were really impressed by Jesus, we would do what Jesus did. Right. We will make our homes with the lame and the poor and the blind and the naked. Right. Sinners and tax collectors and Gentiles. Right. And it's so good. It's so good. I love it. Man, I only have time to get through all this. James chapter two, the end. He gets to the faith and works discussion. Right. The problem with us is that we try to make the Bible a systematic theology textbook. We say, hey, let's learn about the doctrine of justification. And so we run to chapter two. Now, that is not entirely bad, but that is not what James is actually getting at here. He is not trying to teach us in a coherent, logical fashion, the nature of justification as we understand it throughout the Christian tradition. Right. And so what he's doing here, though, instead is he showing us what a dead faith is? Now, remember James's whole point. It's a master class in the virtues, baby. Like, I'm trying to show you, um, <laughs> I'm trying to show you, right, what it means to really live out a kingdom ethic, right? What, it, what, what this really looks like. And so he's saying, no, no, this, this is actually what a dead faith looks like. He says, any genuine faith, the whole point is, no, no, any genuine faith will express itself in deeds, right? Of love for God and love for neighbor, right? And this, is in, this isn't anything uh, different, honestly, from what Paul says when he says that uh, faith, you know, should work through love, right? And I love what he does here because he says, um, no, no, no. Like he says, uh, you believe that God is one. No, 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 good. <laughs> even the demons believe and they shudder. Now, why does he even say that uh, in James 2.19? Well, in the Old Testament, the central uh, uh, doctrine, the central article of faith, the center of all of the theology was the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Uh, Hero Israel, the Lord their God is one. <laughs> right. So he says, no, 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 if you are a person who says, no, 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 I have good doctrine and my whole Christian life is is oriented around clarifying and getting that doctrine. Right. He says the demons believe that big bro. Like you are no you, you are just as good as the demons. Right. He says this thing has to actually practically play out in your very life. And notice the notice the two heroes he gives. He gives Abraham. Right. Big time uh, uh, father of the faith. Right. And he says his faith, uh, he says um, in verse 22, he said, you see that faith was active together with works and by works, his faith was made complete or whole. That same word that tell us where we've been talking about. And then he says Rahab. Now, this is so good because he doesn't just say Rahab. He says Rahab, the prostitute. And again, James is just messing up our categories, chief. He says Rahab, the prostitute shows that she had a living faith. You know why? Because she did the works that was needed she 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 loved her neighbor right she saved the spies right and again he's he's messing with our categories and showing us that uh you know um our heroes listen our heroes in in the faith aren't always the people we think they should be right like the the true heroes of the faith aren't always the people we think they should be and it's it's the Rahab the prostitute not just the guy uh, preaching to millions of people on TV a person whose faith is accompanied by real, true, genuine good works for their neighbor. So good. 
Oh man, I'm 15 minutes in. I'm only two chapters in. Anyway, uh, I mean, let me let me run through this real quick. James chapter three. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Listen, very good. Um, all of us are responsible for our own beliefs, but the tough thing about being a teacher of God's word is that you fail to realize the enormous amount of influence you can have on other people's beliefs, right? And then he goes down to talk about the tongue even further. He says, um, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature. There's that word again, but uh, able also to control the whole body. Very good. Very good. But again, James is is about wisdom. He's about wisdom. He's saying, in other words, no, no, no. Like if a man can control his tongue, he can control his body. Right. And look at the metaphors he uses. He says, no, no. Look how the bit controls controls the horse. Look how the tiny rudder steers an entire ship, how a small fire can set a forest ablaze. And I think the point that is being made is not just that our tongues can do things or have power. Right. We, we see that in Proverbs. That is absolutely true. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying the size of the tongue is disproportionate to what it says about our lives. Did you catch that? The size of the tongue is disproportionate to what it actually says about our lives. In other words, listen, if you want to know about someone's character, pay attention to how they speak, because if they can't control their tongue, then you know their life has run amok. Right. How a person speaks can tell you everything you know about their self control right this is all about self-control this is all about the virtues this is all about living in a wise way in the world this is all about living out the kingdom ethic and i wish i had time to talk about how our twitter timeline and our ig stories can be a window into our real life <laughs> right how you talking to folks over there says something about what you uh who you actually are and what your character is actually like and um and i don't think it would be an overstatement to say that man in many ways our words run our lives Right. What a witness we would have in this age as Christians if we were to be those who were most careful around how we spoke. Right. What would happen if the church of the living God became a place absent of slander, gossip, crude joking and one of one of encouragement and thoughtful words of kindness. Right. Of kindness, of kindness, of kindness. I love it. He goes on James chapter four. Now he's going to talk about humility. Remember, I said this is a masterclass in the virtues. He says, what is the source of the wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. It's funny because the churches at, at, at this time uh, James were writing to uh, many have said we're, we're characterized by verbal fighting and bickering and arguing much like ours today. And but 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 once again, he will contrast like other biblical writers, the way that it is that that this is often the mark of worldliness. Because and you say you say, how KP, how KP, how KP? Look what he says in uh, verse four. He says in verse four, he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God. So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. In other words, when he says the world, he does not mean uh, uh, the world in um, a general sense, but he means the actual specific values uh, and ways and will of the world that is against the ways and words and will of God. Right. And so he's saying this, this, this envy, this discontentment, this uh, arrogance, this, 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 this uh, pride, this self-centeredness, all of this uh, is a mark of uh, uh, people who, 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 who are, who are much like the world. Right. And he's saying, no, no, like there's a different way you have to live. Right. And it's interesting because, again, he's not just talking about what, what happens outwardly, but also what happens inwardly here. So he's saying like the the, the, the problems that are within you. And I love it because uh, at the end of the day, he's like, 
y'all got to humble yourselves, right? Like, no, no, no. Like, y'all have to humble yourselves. And and there's an element of, and he, and he uses a ton of language from the Ten Commandments here. It's so good. But um, um, I think the thing he wants to get at is this discontentment, right? That we're all prone to have. And that leads us to envy other people who have what we don't, right? It's us saying, like, God, I don't want what I have and I don't have what I want. Right. And he's saying, like, there has to be a humility. There has to be a submission to what God has done for us and what he is doing in us so that we can be people of love to those around us. James chapter five. Last one. If last time he talked about, um, you know, uh, humility and four, he's going to talk about patience here. And in light of the first part of five, uh, James mentions that the rich are oppressing the poor, uh, which is an indictment. Right. And in verse seven, he switches who he's talking to. So he talks about the rich and the poor at the beginning of chapter five. And then in seven, he talks about brothers, right? Some translations read brothers and sisters. And in light of this uh, like oppression by the rich, he urges them to be patient. I love it. He says, be patient. Verse seven, therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. You also must be patient. Verse eight, strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, verse 10, Take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. The idea here is that we are patient, long suffering and have forbearance because we know that our patience has a purpose. It has a goal. And the goal is the glorious return of the Lord Jesus to come back and to right all wrongs, judge all evil and deliver the righteous. Now, it's interesting because there's this book called uh, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church by Alan Crider. And one of the main things he argues is that patience was essential to the beginning and the movement and the spreading of Christianity. He says the central virtue that the early church fathers, primarily the anti-Nicene uh, before Council of Nicaea uh, fathers would say the chief virtue fam, of being a Christian was patience. Right. And they, and they pulled this from from the text. Right. They're like, no, no, no. Like God is uh, the Lord. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. Right. Exodus 34, six and seven. Uh, the Lord Jesus, who 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 endured suffering with patience. Texts like James. Right. James chapter five, where he talks about the patience. And I think this is something that um, is not uh, obvious to obviously inherent to any of us. And we live in an, an age and a society that is just wanting us to uh, not be patient, right? That, that literally uh, puts us in spaces and places that lead against us growing in patience. So this is something we have to actively do as Christians. And um, yeah, James is saying like, this is something that is characteristic of a Christian, right? James, uh, Galatians chapter five, love, joy, peace, patience, right? Uh, kindness, um, fruits of the spirit. And so he's saying, man, patience is a virtue that needs to be cultivated among God's people. And we know that just like the farmer, right, who is patient and waits for the early and late rains, continues to do his work. We continue to do our work as we wait for the precious coming of our Lord. We continue in faithfulness and obedience. Listen, even when it seems as if the Lord is lagging. One of the other things I want to say, he moves on and he talks about suffering in verse 13. He says, is anyone suffering? He should pray. <laughs> I love it because one of the things that, um, again, he talked about suffering before this in the patient's uh, text. He talks about uh, suffering early on in the, in the first chapter and all throughout the book, he's talking about suffering. And I think one of the things that um, that is true, again, I've said it before, that suffering is not only normal for the Christian life, but necessary. Right. I think that uh, James is, is clear about all throughout this thing is that, man, wisdom comes through suffering <laughs> like it, it comes through suffering. And. That's not bad news because we're all going to suffer anyway. Right. And so uh, I think the point that, that that he's trying to make is that your pain hear this, the pain that you've gone through, that you've experienced, you listening. Right. We read these things and we think they're about somebody else and not us. The pain that you and I have experienced is never 
meaningless. Your pain is never meaningless, right? God, uh, so many have said that um, sometimes our greatest contribution comes out of our deepest pain, right? Like God uses, uh, you know, the hard and difficult things that we've been through in life. And the Tis text says that he's going to use those things to make you whole, to make you integral, to make you integrated, to make you mature, right? Christianity says that God can use it and redeem it in this life. And check this in the next. I love it. Last thing I want to say, um, this was so good. He says prayer. And then at the end, he talks about, um, or excuse me, he says uh, suffering. But the, the, the end, he talks about, uh, you know, prayer. And uh, one of the things that is so interesting to me, and I've been thinking about a ton, is that all of this, man, the Christian life, as he talks about all this wisdom stuff, you know, he ends off with prayer, right? The, the Christian life should be, is one that it, should be one that is undergirded, bathed in, and soaked in prayer. And um, man, it's so funny because uh, Tim Keller has this interview that he gave probably about a year ago. And, uh, you know, he's Keller. If you don't know about Keller, super smart. You probably do if you listen to this. Listen to me because I talk about him a lot. Um, pastor, you know, thinker, theologian. And, uh, you know, they were asking him like, man, you know, the interview. They said, last question, Tim. They said, uh, if you could go back in your ministry, he's retired. He pastored for about 30 years in New York. Uh, it said, man, if you can go back in your ministry and change one thing about your ministry, what would you change? And he says, oh, that's easy. He says, uh, I would have prayed more. All right. He says, no, no, I would have prayed more. He says, we just don't pray enough. And, uh, man, this is something that Keller says, but this is, if you go through just throughout the list of church history and you read the, the patron saints, the greatest theologians, the greatest thinkers, so many people have contributed so much of what we believe about the faith. They prayed, man. They prayed. And James, <laughs> it's in the text, man. He leaves it off here and says, no, no, pray. And I love what he says in, in, in 17 um, and 16. I'm sorry. And this is so good. This is the last thing I'm going to say. He says, uh, confess your sins. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. He says confession. And he says prayer. And I think that's so important because... Um, if you read church history, uh, you know, the dominant metaphor for sin until we get to the Protestant Reformation in 1500, 1600s, the dominant metaphor for sin, you see it all in the church fathers, was that sin was like a disease that we needed to be healed from. Right. And they got this from the text. Right. Look at this. You know, uh, Jesus says in, his, in, in Matthew and Mark and in the synoptics, he's like, no, 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 the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Right. You think about Isaiah 53. He's like, no, he's going to heal all of our diseases. And you see here in this text that that sin is is spoken of as something we need to be healed from. The early church father, Gregory of Nazianzus, would say that um, the unassumed is the unhealed, meaning that Jesus had to become man to heal humanity from its sin and its plight and darkness and wickedness. And uh, yeah, I just want to say, man, like the Lord wants to heal you. Um, if you've experienced the brokenness of the world, if you've done things to yourself, right, that have, that have led to a sense of brokenness, Christ's work is about healing you, right? It's about healing you from the sin that's in you. And he will one day heal all of the sin in society. And he will make not just us whole, but this very world whole. Let's, let's pray. God, we ask for your grace today uh, to live whole. We ask that you would just possess us by your Holy Spirit so that we can do